Lord Jesus, we are here to lift up your holy name, to worship you with heart, soul, and mind. In the Old Testament, you designed a, a sacrificial system to, to hold them over for the forgiveness of sins and coming into relationship with you until you could send your son, Jesus. And I think of those who brought sacrifices to the temple, to the tabernacle. You, you required certain sacrifices for certain things. and Sacrifices at the heart of our worship. If they simply bought something to sacrifice to you, it wasn't a sacrifice. You asked, Lord Jesus, you told us to bring of our first fruits, the best of the first. It's a sacrifice. It's not just a sacrifice of the thing. It's a sacrifice of our heart that we bring to you. So Lord, as we come with our offering this morning, as we, as we gather our offering together, we do so with joy because of the sacrifice you have made for us, Lord Jesus, recognizing you as who you are, our Redeemer, our Messiah, Lord over all, and you are Lord over our, our hearts and our pocketbooks. So as we come to you with our offerings, Lord, may it not just be a financial gift, but may it be a sacrifice of praise. May it be a sacrifice of thanksgiving that we bring to you. May it be a sacrifice of our first fruits saying, you have first place in my life. So take this offering, Lord Jesus. Use it for your purposes, for your glory. Turn all of our hearts towards you, that we may worship you and serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Mary Lou. As you've heard me say before, since, since the worship team did a little bit of our teaching today, I'm going to sing the sermon. Wouldn't you like to see that? <clears throat> um, I, I came across a story this week as we were looking at this topic of worship for today, what it means to worship, and um, Darlene Check. Have you ever heard that name before? Darlene Check, Hillsong. Um, she, in her book on worship, she tells the story of a time when she was about to go on tour. She was, in three days, she was going to leave for a tour for several weeks and be gone. And she was, I don't remember how many weeks pregnant she was when she was going on this tour. And something happened. I, I don't remember all the details of the story. I'm just doing this by memory, so forgive me. But something happened, and she realized that she had to go to the doctor for her pregnancy. Three days before she left, the doctor told her that the baby had died in her womb. And of course, she was devastated. And she was driving home, she was by herself, her husband, they had two cars at the doctor's office, so her husband was driving another car, and so she was in the car by herself, and 
and the tears were flowing, and she didn't know what to do, and she didn't know what to do about the tour coming up. Three days she's leaving on this tour, and, and, and the, her, her baby has died, and, and all of those things are flooding over her, and the tears are coming as she's driving, and she doesn't know what to do. She's overwhelmed with grief and confusion. And the Holy Spirit came to her in that moment and said, Sing. Sing. Worship. So she said, I didn't even choose a song. I, I listened and I thought, sing in this moment. That's crazy talk. But it was persistent. Sing. Sing. So behind the wheel of her car, with tears flowing down her face, she begins to sing. She didn't choose the song. She said, the song that came to me was How Great Thou Art. And she began to sing and to worship in the car. And then another song came to her that, that she had written in Hillsong Performs. I don't remember which it was. She began to sing that song out loud in the car. And she said, you know what happened? It was broken. The, the despair and the grief and the confusion, it was all broken as I worshiped the Lord there in the car. And she went on to clarify, she said, you know, I still had to go through the operation. I still had to face the grief of losing a child. I still had to go through all of those things that, that this situation, I decided to go on the tour, but that was very difficult, and I needed to give that over to the Lord. So she still needed to go all, through all the things. But the confusion and the despair and the, and the grief, the power of it was broken from personal worship. Sing, sing. I thought that was a remarkable story. See, worship is at the core of our Christian experience. We have to ask the question, how do we define worship? What exactly is worship in the life of a follower of Christ? We've heard good illustrations of that this morning already. I wonder, are there variations to the idea, or is there a fixed definition or model that we all have to conform to? Thankfully, No. Is worship an intensely personal experience that an individual seeks on their own, or is it a community experience that we all gather together and experience on Sunday morning? By the way, church, you were singing this morning. I, sometimes the worship team tells me, boy, I can hear the congregation saying, you were singing this morning. You were worshiping the Lord this morning. Many people have made attempts at defining worship. Look at some of them. I think I have a slide there for it. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. Another definition is worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. Warren Wiersbe said, worship is the believer's response to all they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. John Stott said Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable. Mark Driscoll said worship is living our life individually and corporately as continuous living sacrifices to the glory of a person or a thing. Keep going. Next slide, please. A.W. Tozer said this, great sections of the church to great sections of the church, the art of worship has been lost entirely. And in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. 
This word has been borrowed from the stage and applied with sad wisdom to the type of public service which now passes for worship among us. And then John Piper says this, worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe so that it would display the worth of his glory, and he created us so that we would see this glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. The church needs to build a common vision for what worship is and what she is gathering to do on Sunday morning and scattering to do on Monday morning. Those are great definitions this morning for us. Worship is our response to God. We have to also note that worship, as, as was said a couple times in those quotes, in those definitions, we, worship can also be directed at a thing other than God. That's the whole capture of my heart. That's God is seeking your worship of him. So worship can be of a thing or another person or something else other than God. But, but our focus this morning is on our worship of God as followers of Christ. The forms of worship are quite varied across denominations, across people groups, across cultures. You've likely experienced a whole variation of forms of worship when it comes uh, in, in your own experience. Just recently, I participated in a liturgical service, a very liturgical service. The liturgy was good. The words on the screen were good. The things that we quoted were good. The things that we did as, as a community were good. But I have to say it lacked a personal emphasis, and it was more rote than engaging I've attended churches where there are no musical instruments, where, where someone starts a song from the back row of the church, and the church sings a cappella because they don't believe in musical instruments. I've been in Pentecostal services where the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit and the sign gifts. You haven't experienced worship until you've seen a hundred people praying out loud together. And the noise that that makes, it's amazing. I've been to Africa. I've been to Uganda. One, my one-time trip to Africa, the first experience I had, I walked into a, a, a cement block building, which was their church, and the church service had already started, and there were 35 people dancing with exuberance around the room, and, and seven or eight drums were just banging away, and it was amazing. Somebody said I looked. They should have taken a picture of me because my jaw was hanging on the ground. Worship forms take different styles and different, different varieties all across cultures. Here at Valley, one of our core values is worship. As we define worship, it's both personal and corporate. I hope you're hearing that this morning. It's personal and corporate. We gather together as, as a church family to worship together on Sundays, but we hope that worship is a theme, a constant thread through your life during the week. Some years ago, our worship team work together to come up with a definition of worship and a mission statement regarding our worship ministry. And I'd like to go back to that if I could. These are, this is our, our purpose statement. We exist to bring all, God by, all to God by calling all people into an abundant life with Jesus Christ. This is as a church. Our mission statement is to establish, to equip, and to experience. And our values are worship, word, generosity, mission, community, and family. Worship is first on the list. I'm not sure if it's a priority that way among the values, but worship is part of our values. Let's go to the next slide, please. So how do we, some years ago, our worship team got together and defined worship like this, our intentional human response 
to God's divine revelation when our spirit intimately connects with the Spirit of God. I like that definition. I like it. Anybody here part of that back in the day? Mary Lou, Arlene? Our worship mission, as our, our, our worship team has this mission. Worship ministry exists to cultivate a heart of true worship in God's people that results in the praise of his glorious grace. I love those definitions. We've heard devotional thoughts this morning already on two important aspects of worship. Mary Lou <clears throat> shared the importance of worship as spiritual warfare, how, spirit, how worship reaches into the heavenly room and, uh, realm. Our worship director, Megan, talked about personal worship and, and the fact that our hearts need to be engaged, and that's what we bring to worship. So I'd like to look at the broader term of worship this morning, and I'm not going to have time to do that. But we're going to try. We're going to try. Turn with me, because we want to emphasize, too, that worship is corporate. One of the things that you'll hear when you come to a new members class at Valley Free is that, I don't know if I can say this or not, but we expect you, if you're a member of Valley Free, to come to public worship services here at Valley Free. I, yeah. I expect you to do that. We expect you to do that because it's part of who we are. It's part of coming together. It's part of that fellowship of believers. We need one another. And if we're taking out corporate worship out of the equation, we're missing a big piece of what God's calling us to be about. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we've been here before, but now we're going to come here with this idea of worship in mind. When we come to Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is, this is the New Testament definition of worship. If you think about the Old Testament def, definition of worship, there, actually there's six different words that define worship that are used for the word worship in the Old Testament. And I don't have time to go through them all now, but they, they refer to different things. They refer to praise and glory to God. They refer to, to being uh, prostrate before the Lord, laying down and and, and prostrating yourself before the Lord in worship. It refers to, when, when worship is referred to, one of the words says to serve God, to serve in such ways that we give praise to God, to, to go out and do things as a form of worship. Six different words, six different aspects of it. When Noah built an altar, he worshiped with his family as soon as he exited the ark. When Abraham went up on the mountain to build an altar to, altar to make a, a sacrifice to God, he was worshiping. On the night of the Exodus, each family sacrificed a firstborn lamb and worshiped the Lord. When God gave the law to Moses, God appeared on the mountain and the people of, of Israel, what did they do? They gathered around the mountain. God said to purify themselves when they come to him. And they shook and they feared and they trembled. They feared for their lives as they were in the presence of the holy, almighty, powerful God. They were worshiping the Lord in ways that we've never seen before. When Ezra and Nehemiah found a copy of the scriptures in the rubble of Jerusalem, they gathered the people together. In Nehemiah chapter 8, they gathered all the people together and they read the word of God out loud to them. Nehemiah chapter 8 talks about they, they, Ezra, read, Ezra read from a wooden platform. Is that the first pulpit? Read from a, wood, a wooden platform and read the word of the Lord to the word of the law to the people of Israel. And what did they do? They fell on their faces and they worshiped the Lord when they were convicted by the word of the Lord. 
That's worship. When King David returned the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, there was dancing in the streets. And when the people of Israel came to the Promised Land, they, were, they, they had to conquer Jericho. And the, and the Lord told them, send out the priests ahead of the army. And the city fell because they worshiped the Lord. In Luke chapter 7, a woman of questionable reputation came to Jesus with expensive perfume, and she washed his feet. I can't imagine this scene. She washed his feet with that expensive perfume. She washed his feet with her tears and with her hair. What a beautiful picture of worship. At the end of the age, we see the resurrected Jesus seated on his throne with an innumerable multitude falling down to worship him. The images of Scripture could go on and on for worship. We could make a whole series out of it. Let's try to boil it down to this one thing. In Romans 12, Paul says this about worship. He takes all of that and he synthesizes it down to this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul redefines worship in light of the cross, in light of the final sacrifice of Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's look at a couple of things there. First of all, worship is no longer a place, but a life. In the Old Testament, the focus is on the altar or the temple in Jerusalem. In Psalm 122, the, pilgrim, the pilgrims wrote... Psalm, the Psalms of Ascents, a group of Psalms starting at 120. Psalm 122 says, as they went to Jerusalem, as they went up to Jerusalem, they, what did they say to one another? I was glad when they invited me to come and worship in the house of the Lord. Their hearts were full. They're about to explode when they think about going to the temple to worship. It was all about making a sacrifice in the temple, in the tabernacle. And now Paul, along with the Apostle Peter, is saying that the temple is now what? The temple's you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are the temple of God. You are the living stones that Peter talks about. You are the temple of God. It's the individual follower of Christ, and it's the community of believers gathered together in the Holy Spirit who are now the living temple, the dwelling place of God. You see, worship is not about place. It's about lives offered up to Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, verses 21 to 24, Jesus encountered a woman who, who asked in John chapter 4, she said, well, my people say that you're supposed to worship at this place on this mountain, and the Jews say you're supposed to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. What is it? Which place do I go to? And what did Jesus say? It's not about the place. The day, day is coming when it won't matter which place you go to. What will matter is that you worship God in, help me out, spirit and truth. That you bring God, come to God with all of your spirit engaged in him. That you come in his truth, aligned with his truth, and aligning your truth with him. Spirit and truth. That's the issue. It's the life. I've had the privilege of visiting churches in Europe. I've been inside St. Peter's in, in Rome. And it's a breathtakingly beautiful and majestic place but it is not the temple of God. We are. Jesus said the location is not the issue. I hope you didn't come here this morning because you love our beautiful building. You had to walk past the peeling paint to get in here. You didn't come here because you love the building, although we love our building. We're praising God for it. But you came here to be with believers. Believers. 
You came here to meet and encounter the living God. And he's here. He's here. It's no longer a temple sacrifice, but a sacrifice of yourself. In the Old Testament law, there were specific sacrifices for specific purposes, and we can't go into all of that, but there were peace offerings, there were burnt offerings, there were sin offerings. Sacrifices included oxen, rams, doves, grain. If you wanted to, make, if you wanted to approach God, you had to make a sacrifice, a sacrifice for purity as well as other sacrifices depending on the occasion. But David said in relation to the significance of sacrifice, he said, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. You see the sacrifice? So Paul tells us, in light of the final and full sacrifice of Christ, that my worship is to offer up my own life. In Romans 12, he says, it's a living sacrifice. It's my worship to God, wholly given over to Christ. It's no longer a ritual, but a practice. Worship is not an event. It's not a ritual. Worship is a lifestyle. I hope you hear that this morning. It includes Monday morning. It includes every other morning or whenever you gather together before the Lord personally. And it includes coming together as a church family. One author said it this way, that Sunday morning worship prompts all kinds of responses in service to the Lord meaning we go out and we serve the Lord and, and we teach Sunday school and, we, and we, we help lead the youth ministry and we, we go to, and then we go out into the communities and we represent the Lord Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our workmates. You see, the ministries of the church and the believers all flow from a heart of worship experienced together on Sunday morning. But lived out Monday through Saturday, we see God at work, we see God active, we see God powerful, we see God's grace poured out in our lives, we experience God Monday through Saturday, and that fuels our worship on Sunday morning. You see how it goes around and around? Let's keep going. Worship is the intersection of time and eternity. I often find our, our, our worship on Sunday mornings to be a place of refuge, to be a respite from a crazy world. And I hope that's true for you too. When we gather together as believers of the Lord Jesus, we encourage one another, we support one another. Fellowship is a key part of worship. When we sing praises together, our hearts are stirred and we're transported into eternal truths and promises. We're transported into the heavenly places. Worship whether it's individual or whether it's corporate, whether it's you meeting together with God by yourself or whether it's here gathering together. I hope you sense the Lord's presence this morning already. But brothers and sisters, what we're experiencing together as a church, if you're sensing God's presence, it means that time, place, and eternity have combined together and worship is the result. Worship is the result. Worship is conditional on two important dynamics. One is that God comes near and the other is, see, if God doesn't speak, then there's no worship. If God hadn't taken the initiative to enter his creation, there is no worship. This last week, we, had our, we have a monthly elders Bible study, and we have started working our way through the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith. And uh, the first one is the doctrine of God. Sandy asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to the elders study. She said, what are you going to study tonight? I said, God. God. And we did. We studied the doctrine of God. And we read Isaiah 40. 
And we looked, at, we looked at the majesty of God and the splendor of God and the power of God. And who, who are you to counsel me, he says. And we realized as we dug deeper into our conversation, we started digging deeper into who God is and, and what he does. We, we realized he's holy, with a W, holy other. He's outside the universe. He rules over all of creation, and yet he chose to enter into our world. We talked about the pale blue dot. If you've not, if you've not seen this before, the, the Voyager spacecraft was going out. I don't remember. I don't know what years these were. The Voyager space. Remember this story? The Voyager spacecraft was going out into deep, deep, deep space and, and taking pictures and documenting as it went past planets, as it went past stars, as it went past all kinds of things and taking pictures and sending them back to Earth. And it was about to go out of range, about to leave our galaxy. And, the, and, and the, uh, Louis Giglio tells this story much better than I do, but he says, at, when it got to the edge of our galaxy, we knew we were going to lose control of the spacecraft. They asked it one more time, one more time, Turn around and take a picture of the earth from where you are. And this is the image that came. That's, they call that image the pale blue dot. You can Google it and hear the story on, on the internet. That's the pale blue dot. Worship means that the pale blue dot is, that's the significance of it. In fact, that's a great significance compared to what we really are in light of all of creation. And yet God sits above that. God, God, God is a ruler over all those things, the things that we can't even see. And yet, and yet God came near. God chose to walk among his creation. God chose that little blue speck out in the middle of the universe, just hanging there all by itself, and we're on that planet. And God says, I need to go. I need to be part of my creation I need to show them. I need to break through the sin. I need to pay for their sin so that they can come and be with me. You see, God draws near. That's the first principle of worship is that God draws near. And if we look at the next slide, please, we see that the second principle is this. God draws near to us. He comes near by his love. He comes near by giving us his law. He gives us in his word. He gives us his grace, his truth, his forgiveness, comfort, guidance, other things. That I, guidance, you could put other things in that list. God comes near and he ministers to us and he meets us where we are. Often that's one of our prayers in the, before Sunday morning is, God, there's a whole bunch of people coming today and there's a whole bunch of needs and there's a whole bunch of life stories. God, meet people where they are today. That's one of our prayers for Sunday morning. And so we bring, we respond to God, we bring joy, we bring celebration. I'm going to add singing to that. Can I do that? Mary Lou says I can. Faith, confession, gratitude, wonder, we, that's our response back to God. And at the intersection of that is worship, is worship. And all these thoughts culminated in our definition of worship all those years ago, our intentional human response to God's divine revelation when our spirit intimately connects with the Spirit of God. You see, our worship should lead us into God's presence. Our worship should lead us into the assurance of heaven and the hope of the gospel. 